Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Blackfoot Communications is actively supporting the communities we serve across Montana and Idaho. We are installing hundreds of miles of fiber in our service territories, increasing the broadband experience in our rural communities. We are delivering remote workforce solutions for our business communities. We are creating new, innovative solutions for our local entrepreneurs and enterprise organizations. Learn how your company can benefit. Call today at 541-5000 or go to blackfootbusiness.com. Blackfoot Communications. Connect to more. So, Montana. Welcome back to Nuanez Now on 1029 ESPN Missoula. Maybe you're watching in statewide television, SWX Montana Television. Want to watch or consume the show on any of your mobile devices, or your computer, your laptop, your cell phone, whatever, head on over to our station website, 1029ESPN.com. You can click on the Listen Live tab. You'll find the stream. And that plays ESPN Radio 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all around planet Earth. Or give us a call. Shoot us a text, 406-361-3688. That's 361-3688. If you missed anything in the first hour of the show, talk to NCAA Hoops with Brooks Nuanas from SkylineSportsMT.com. We also featured Claire Howard, University of Montana goalkeeper. She recently set the Big Sky Conference career record for shutouts in a career with 30 of them. And we also had a little trivia as well. You can find the first hour of the show, and you can find each and every hour of the show on the podcast which is available on all of your various podcasting platforms, sponsored by Blackfoot Communications, as well as the Wingate by Wyndham Hotel. Time now for our ESPN Roundtable. Uh, the ESPN Bracket Challenge, I, uh, the person in first place remains in first place. They've been in first place since the first round was over. And uh, I know him. <laughs> He's a buddy of mine. And uh, he 
is very superstitious, so he does not want us talking about that on the radio, but we'll give you, you can check it out if you're in the entry. By the way, hundreds of entries, so very appreciative of everybody for for chipping in and, and being a part of our bracket challenge. Once again, we do have great prizes, including a $400 cash prize from Paradise Falls, as well as some gift cards for you. Second place and third place are also going to get some gift cards as well. I got $100 of the gift cards for second place and $75 of the gift cards for third place as well. So thanks to each and every person for signing up for the ESPN Bracket Challenge, as well as thanks for Paradise Falls for sponsoring. And if you need any place to watch sports this weekend, we want to place some bets down there. You can go use the uh, Sports Bet Montana kiosk down at Paradise Falls. Lay some bets down on the Final Four or uh, consume whatever sporting event maybe you want. Major League Baseball opens tomorrow as well. So head on down to Paradise Falls in Missoula, 3621 Brook Street, Missoula's coolest hot spot. Go down to the Rangers Brothers RV phone line for our ESPN Roundtable. We welcome in one of my good buddies and a great sports writer who has been in Indianapolis for it seems like forever, Ryan Collingwood from the Spokesman Review. And Collingwood, I saw you out there in Indy, and you never came home. So what's it been like living on the road here the last couple of weeks in the heartland? Oh, just buying extra clothes down at the H&M. <laughs> deals over there. So, uh, yeah, so it's kind of been... Uh, Eat, not eating as well as I would like, so I, I, I never had to go to a grocery store on a on a trip before. But when you you're pushing a couple of weeks, you, you, you kind of get desperate. But uh, could be worse circumstances. I mean, we're here in the, the mecca of college basketball, and there's a pretty good team we cover here, and it's, it's been kind of fun to kind of take that all in. What have you thought of Indianapolis as a whole? I'd never been there before. Uh, we made the trip out there, so uh, I was impressed. I thought it was a great city. Yeah, it's different. It's obviously a metropolitan area, but it has a mixture of Midwest and kind of kind of South a little bit. It's like it has a little bit of that Kentucky, Tennessee mm-hmm. landscape. A lot of brick, a lot of brick, a lot of brick, a lot of flat stuff. Um, not the most healthy food I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> right. uh, uh, not a lot of gas stations like in the metro area. Like you, you, when you're from where we're from, it, there needs to be a gas station over screwed. So <laughs> around right. here. Not as uh, I mean, I had to ask where a gas station was in a huge city, so that tells you everything you need to know. But uh, definitely unique, definitely cool. Uh, it's cool. It's kind of like a big state tournament with all these teams here, and uh, it's definitely an experience I won't forget. That's for sure. So you've been mobbing around. You got a chance to go to uh, Indiana Farmers Arena to cover Eastern Washington in their first round game against. Kansas, but you also have covered, I know I saw you at the Gonzaga game when they were playing at Hinkle Fieldhouse against Oklahoma. Have you have you gotten a chance to cover games at the other two places, Lucas Oil Field, the football place, or or uh, the Pacers Arena downtown? Have you covered games at those ones yet? No, I've been, I've been in there, yeah. I, I think uh, I covered the Gonzaga game at Hinkle and then Eastern at Farmers, but the games last night, I didn't cover the game last night. I was doing some other stuff, like outside um, you know, the arena kind of stuff. That, that part's been fascinating, too, to follow your coverage. Is just uh, You've been doing some sort of broad features for the spokesman, just a you know, man-on-the-street type things with uh, the way that uh, everything's operating. And so uh, tell us about that aspect. I mean, what have you thought of just the, the overall atmosphere of, of the experience? And, I mean, it's obviously not the same as if it was a full capacity at each arena and, and if these things were selling out like it would be in a normal year. But all in all, it seems like they've done a pretty good job of mitigating it considering the circumstances. Yeah, no, they have. You know, obviously it's a little shut down a little bit, but it's I always people always ask me <laughs> if I was to descri- describe the environment, and I say 
well, have you been to downtown Coeur d'Alene and kind of see how things are there? And they're like, yeah, <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty much 2019 there. Well, have you been to Washington, like, you know, Seattle, Spokane? Yeah, well, it's somewhere in the middle between those things as far as, um, you know, bars being open, uh, groups of people. It's kind of like, it's a little pandemic-y, but it's a little uh, open, too. So it depends on where you're at. It's kind of, um, you know, it depends. But, uh, for, but by and large, it's been, it's been, it's been pretty well-run uh, as far, you know, just uh, the tournaments, the restaurants, you know, just all the vendors. Is obviously unique. I mean, you're going to bring, I mean, initially you brought 68 fan bases to this metro area for a tournament. So you brought their teams and their bubble, their respective bubbles. And, their, and as you, you and I both know, those guys are locked down, you know, tight, like Ziploc, like they can't even do anything. But then the fans are out kind of just, you know, bar hopping and, um, you know, gymnasium hopping. So it's unique in that respect. Brian Collingwood joining us. He's a sports writer at the Spokesman Review. Covers Eastern Washington and Gonzaga. And how about that element of it, right? I mean, Gonzaga into the Final Four for the second time in their school's history. This is absolutely, I think, the best team they've ever had. And I know that, I mean, they're, they're, they have, in terms of the way you guys cover them, they, they get pro sports team level coverage by the Spokesman Review for sure. Uh, but, I mean, what, what, have you got any gauge on what, it's, what the scene's like back in Spokane? And, I mean, this has to be pretty cool because I know that even here in Missoula, three hours away, it's a big deal here. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody loves, likes the Zags. The, the Inland Northwest Regional Power, it's such a rare thing. We've hardly ever seen Northwestern teams have this much success on the national stage. And Gonzaga's leading the way right now. So, I mean, have you gotten any uh, vibe on what it's like back in Spokane? And, and uh, it seems like a lot of people out there kind of rooting on the Zags, too, as they try to make this undefeated run. Yeah, there's some... Uh, apparently, there was like a, uh, some chaos yesterday when they made it to the Final Four. I, I guess a, they burned some couches and the cops had to come and stuff. So it was pretty... Pretty crazy, but I thought it was a little premature. I mean, I think I think a lot of people expected this Gonzaga team to get to this point. Um, in 2017, when they burned the couches and, and went wild, that seemed a little more justified, considering it was the first time. But I think they should uh, maybe stifle the, the couch burning and car tipping over or, or whatever uh, um, you know stereotype of a riot for sports would look like until maybe Gonzaga wins the whole thing, which they likely will do it if, if the past few weeks is any, any indication. You're a North Idaho guy, grew up in North Idaho, and you've lived between Coeur d'Alene and Spokane for quite some time now. So from your seat, I mean, what's it been like to watch this program grow? Because when they first started building this program, it was kind of like the, the sweet Cinderella, and now they've become a bona fide juggernaut, even though the school remains in a re- relatively rural area and it's a private school, and mm-hmm. we know all the factors. But, I mean, it's been pretty crazy to watch this thing rise like it has. Yeah, I, I tell you the story. So I grew up in Spokane, too. So, I mean, obviously I kind of balanced between uh, North Idaho and Spokane as a kid. Uh, so I think I was a freak, I want to say, fifth grade or something, like in the 90s. And I was wearing this, um, I was wearing a dark blue Gonzaga sweatshirt. This McNavy blue, and I had a. It, I don't know if you, if you remember the old Gonzaga logo. It, it's not the one it is today, but it's a little different. Kind of had like it's wearing like a hat, like a little. The bulldog is completely different, and and depending on what design you got, you can't really tell. But I remember wearing this sweater, and some dude was like, "Dude, I love Georgetown." Interesting. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> they didn't that's, even know, right? That, that's how. 
didn't even know it. That's how obscure. I mean, obviously, it was a Division One school in town, and they were a decent West Coast Conference school, but they weren't even as visible as you know an Allen Iverson led Georgetown team in '95. You know what I'm saying? For sure. So to go from that to go from that, and then obviously the Matt Santangelo, Casey Calvary run '99 when the you know they made it to the Elite Eight, and everyone was like, "Holy crap, this is crazy!" This is, and then they then they sustained it, and then. You know, they would have a couple dudes, like an Adam Morrison type or uh, an Austin Day, some NBA kind of, Ronnie Turioff kind of guys. But for the most part, like, top 25, but, like, talent-wise, maybe not. Even top 25, but just, like, a good team, good coach. Um, you know, would lose a lot. You know, they would lose a lot in the first weekend or they you know, get to the Sweet 16. Like, you know, it's a solid college basketball program for sure, but... Um, these last few years, they've really, uh, they've really kind of caught it, you know, some great success. And right now, between the recruits they're getting, um, the amount of NBA guys they're, they're kind of producing, they've kind of got it going on. I mean, it's, it's they're up there now. The thing is, they haven't won a national title. They're not in a major conference, but they are player for player a top, like a bona fide college basketball program among the best. And it's been kind of crazy to see. Absolutely. Ryan Collingwood, sports writer at the Spokesman Review, joining us here on Duanez Now, 102.9 ESPN Missoula. It is our ESPN roundtable. We do this each Wednesday during the 5 o'clock hour, and then again on Thursday during the lunchtime hour as well. And Ryan, switching gears on you, the, uh, th- that's all the, the great parts of the covers that you guys have been doing. And I know you've been uh, covering a lot of, of your other beat, covering Eastern Washington from abroad, but it's been a lot of news and, and, and in a lot of ways, a lot of not good news at Eastern Washington. The first domino no. was sort of Jacob Davidson, the preseason MVP of the league, uh, entering the transfer portal, and then within a day, Shante Leggins decides that he's going to move on. He, he takes a head job as, at uh, Portland, and then all of a sudden, the exodus begins. I thought when they promoted internally, when they promoted David Riley, that that was going to maybe provide a little bit of stability, but it seems as if uh, the writing was sort of on the wall when Coach Leggins left, and we've seen entries then in the transfer portal from Tanner Groves, the Big Sky MVP, his brother, Jacob Groves, Michael Meadows, one of the better sophomores in the league, and Tyler Robertson, who's the top reserve in the league as well. And so it's been brand name and big-time players, at least on the Big Sky Conference level. So first of all, to take us through the Leggins to Portland, I mean, what were your impressions of that. I know that we had talked that you weren't going to be surprised if he moved on after this season because they had been so good. But when it all went down, what did you think of the initial move by Coach Leggins to leave Eastern and, and head to the West Coast Conference? Yeah, you got to go where the money's at. I mean, he'll tell you he went for certain reasons or whatever, but uh, you, you and I have seen this many times in our lives when we've covered sports where a coach where you hold out too long, you might lose that lightning, you know, and, and sometimes you got to go and and thing is, Shantae, I mean, the guy, Wyoming really liked him last year, actually won the league. I mean, Wyoming, he got the Mountain West, and but he just didn't think it'd be the best fit for him or whatever. And then I think they went on and got the Linder guy from Northern Colorado. And and then, you know, I think Portland just kind of showed the most – like they were, they were kind of on Shantae from, like, you know, pretty early. Like, they kind of had an eye on that guy. and. He liked he liked the fact that he was like so coveted by them, and um, you know they're not a good program right now. Portland isn't, and the, and the league is just getting better. I mean, you're going to lose two games to Gonzaga. You're going to play BYU, St. Mary's, Pepperdine's getting better. San Francisco is good sometimes, sometimes they're not. You know, it's all these teams are good, but uh, Shantae figures. You know, he's had an eye for 
getting guys nobody wants and making them big sky MVPs. He's done it for years and years. I think he's so confident he can keep doing that in Portland and make them a you know a decent program. I, I don't think he's going to go in there with the intention to beat Gonzaga his first year. I mean, I'm sure he'd love that, but I think he wants to build like you know a consistent, steady program, and that's not, that. That hasn't happened, and I can't think of where when it was steady, steadily winning. I think they had some good years, some good competitive years where they'd win more than they lost. But um, you know, I think he just liked the vibe. You know, and obviously it's, gonna, it's it pays four times as much as what he's getting at Eastern, so or just about close to four times as much. So, and plus, you know, his wife has a good job, so I think he figures, hey, you know, this is a, a school that. Um, is going to give me the opportunity to do what I can do. And and, and, and in a time, in a weird time, I think if it was a different time where you couldn't get these portal kids, if he goes in, it might be different. But right now it's like this insane free agent wire. It's like you can just get guys and they might fall into your lap. And then, um, you know, it's not like it was before we could get a bunch of high school guys or JUCO guys. He, he can get other D1 guys. They could play immediately. And it might, he might end up getting some of, it, some of his own guys, you know, some of his Eastern guys. You know, don't be surprised if you see a bunch of Eastern guys over there, you know, and with, with a mixture of some new guys that, you know, that are more physically matched for that conference, the grind of that league. So, um, you know, it, well, time will tell. That was a good move. But I think just knowing the kind of guy he is and um, the way he's gotten guys, it can't be, you know, it can't be too horrible to move. Right, Collywood, sports writer at the Spokesman Review. Joining us here on Nuanas Now, it's our ESPN Roundtable, breaking down Eastern Washington sports. And that's the second head coach for Eastern Washington men's basketball that is headed to the West Coast Conference to take jobs that, outside of the monetary uh, pay increases, seem like not they seem like lateral moves, right? I mean, Jim Hafer going to Seattle U, and then Shantae Liggins going to Portland. I mean, neither of those programs have... Uh, that much tradition. I mean, Eastern's been arguably as good in terms of within their conference and, and a, as an NCAA tournament contender over the last half dozen years or so as those schools. So, I mean, is this pointing to something bigger? Or I guess, does Eastern Washington need to take a look at maybe their investment in basketball if they want to keep retaining these coaches? Yeah, it's something. It's so many layers and nuance to that situation. I mean, I mean, it's they've had financial problems forever. And as you and I both know, before the pandemic, it wasn't looking too hot before the pandemic. So that's saying something. So, um, you know, so I think they're going to have to definitely take a look at things. And uh, the, the times are changing, you know, college is changing. Like there isn't as many students in college, even before the pandemic, enrollment was declining in places. People were, finding other means to learn and like enroll or enroll online. It's just basically if you're not a big time school, I mean, you're kind of on the downslope. I mean, you're kind of working your way up as far as enrollment, uh, creating a, an athletic atmosphere. People want to come watch your games and spend their money. And you're, and when you're Eastern, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just part of that deal. You know, you're in the wazoo Gonzaga, you know, vortex. It's hard to really, get all the people you need, all the money, all the boosters, all the fans to kind of keep your head above water. I mean, you'll have some flashes in the pan, you know, this football team will get to Frisco for the championship game or this basketball team gets to the national title uh, or the national tournament. Um, but you know, how much is it? I mean, you got to keep doing that to make, bring, bring money to where it's, you, you get a profit or you can get out of the red or get close to the red. But between just 
the inherent struggle of being a small commuter-like school in that area where the focus is elsewhere and the pandemic and, you know, years and, you know, years in debt, it'll catch up to you. You know, I think maybe that's what's going on. You know, I'm not going to pretend like I'm some bean counter um, person who knows how this works, but with money, because if that was the case, I'd be doing that and making a hell of a lot more money. So, but, uh, I think Eastern's going to definitely look at the books. And, I mean, they, they paid. I mean, they know that. They paid the, a pretty good chunk of money to get an outside consultant firm to kind of really do their own uh, study or investigation of their finances to kind of see, you know, what's, what's going on. How can they work? Can they trim it? You know, obviously it's not. It's basically they come up with a report and they get suggestions and they did that. So they're called the Pictor Group. So the Pictor Group came in there to, interviewed a million people, looked at all the books, and they had to figure out, like, okay, like, yeah, this, if we're going to even have sports here that are worth anything or in the league or D1 or whatever, these, these are the changes that are going to happen. But, I mean, it's just a tough time, period. I mean, you can't even get a freaking football fan into a football game, like, or a substantial amount of them. So just a lot of bad if – you're, if you're a college like that, and, I'm, and not just Eastern, I mean, there's, there's – hundreds of Easterns around the country that are going through similar problems, but uh, it's kind of a good problem for Eastern because there's schools like that that have problems, but no one knows or cares because they don't have football teams that are good or basketball teams made to national tournament. So you can look at it two ways. You can look at it like, okay, we're like hundreds of other colleges that have problems with money. That sucks. But no one talks about it because it's expected. Or you have that same problem, but you have these two teams that are somehow good so the microscope's on you a little bit for not having any money but that's because you have these good teams so you can keep it looking at it that way so it's, it's a it's, it's a whole thing and you know hopefully for the people in Cheney with their team and their and people involved out there because some good people out there that uh, things you know are, are a little easy on them because it hasn't been too positive recently. Ryan Collin will join us. He covers Eastern Washington at the Spokesman Review. He's in Indianapolis covering some Gonzaga stuff as well and Right, I think that there's there's multiple layers to this this uh, transferring out of Eastern Washington on the men's basketball side specifically, regardless of the financial challenges at Eastern Washington. I think that they were going to have some guys that were leaving because of the coach leaving, and Chante Leggins is a player's coach. He's well liked by his guys, so I was not surprised by that. But then also you factor in that it's it's even easier to leave with the zero year. It's easier to leave with the transfer. Uh, waiver, you don't have to sit out. Uh, so that that's one thing. But then we've seen it not just in men's basketball though. On in women's basketball, we had I mean six Eastern Washington players entered the portal, including Kennedy Dickey, Grace Kirshner, and then today Jenna Dick. And those are, that's three of Eastern Washington's arguably four best players on the women's side of things. So half a dozen on both the men's and women's basketball teams into the portal. And then Chris Ojo, a guy I think one of the, is one of the better linebackers in the Big Sky Conference, he entered the portal today as well. And they're in the midst of a spring football season there at Eastern Washington as well. So is it possible that the rumblings of this financial instability are starting to trickle into uh, the athletic department and the athletes and maybe they are trying to leave before uh, anything goes awry? Yeah, I think it has something to do with it. I mean, when people, uh, even if it's like, the way I always tell people, like I always hear people saying like, oh, they're going to cut sports, they're going to cut sports. I mean, I, I think to me that's kind of a reach. But when you see it in the headlines, you see it, people don't read the whole article and stuff. Like, I mean, like, you know, a few, a few faculty members 
you know, suggested it. It wasn't like the sizable portion of the college was like, we need to drop it and this is going to happen. Like, no, it was just like a few people who disgruntled in academia who didn't like the money distribution and, um, you know, they thought it, the school was getting kind of bled from sports. So they, they I think people kind of glommed on to this notion that they're going to drop sports or something. And to me, that never really seemed like a thing. You know, looking at, looking at that objectively, you know me, Coulter. I I don't like really sugarcoat things too much. So for me, to, for me to even be like that doesn't seem legit. But but I think you know you're a student athlete. And all you hear about is how um, your school's in debt all the time, and you hear about how. Uh, I mean, plus you have you know Eastern isn't really known for having the best facilities ever either. So it's a and then, you know, it's a, you know, maybe being in Washington, I'm like, you know, there's more of a shutdown there with athletes and stuff with like the coronavirus. So some, some athletes couldn't do as much as, as other states. They couldn't go out and they didn't get as many things. I'm obviously things are kind of clearing up now. It seems like, who knows, but it seems like between vaccinations and different phases with the fans, different fans can come in. A little bit of fans here, a little bit of fans there, but it just seems like a mixture of, these kids have kind of had to be locked down for months and then the football season got delayed because they're at FCS and then, you know, back, you know, the, the transfer portal, it's just, I think it's just a, a mixture of the culture and the money situation. There's just so many things at play and, you know, you have adults in your ear too. If you're a good big sky guy, the transfer portal culture has really changed it because it's like, you know, you're a pretty good big sky guy and someone says like, Hey man, just so you know, I think you can play in the Mountain West or the Pac-12, and if you're going to do that, you may as well do it now, you know, because you can be immediately eligible. And that's just how it's around the country. So uh, by and large, these small, mid-major, low-major conferences have turned into junior college conferences. Yep. And I've had this, and I've had this talk with coaches from that conference, but I'm like, dude, is the big sky the scenic – the scenic West, you know, with like CSI, like, is that what it is now? Because these guys are leaving for another, you know, they basically, they have two more years of eligibility. So if you're a junior, you were basically a sophomore last year. Right. So you're basically a, a Juco sophomore last year going to a, a bigger college. You, you played, you played hyper Juco last year, but you did. So you can look at it that way. And I think that's a lot of it too. Yeah, no question. It's it's a it's an interesting and concerning thing to to be sure. We're going to keep monitoring this, and uh, we'll circle back around with you when spring football is getting more towards its completion. But uh, Ryan Collingwood, spokesman, review sports writer, joining us on the ESPN Roundtable. And thanks so much for jumping on, man. I appreciate it. Big help to me, and enjoy yourself out in Indianapolis. Have a good time covering the Final Four. That'll be quite an experience. Uh, and tell people how can they follow your writing here. I know that you you got the Twitter machine back going, so tell people how they can follow you. Yeah, you can follow me on uh, the Twitter, on the Twitters. It's, uh, you know, just SR underscore Collingwood. And I know that's the longest name ever. It's C-O-L-L-I-N-G-W-O-O-D. And um, so if you're from Montana, I might, if I know you, I probably already know you. If I don't, have fun writing that one down and trying to find me on there. But anyway, thanks, Colter. I appreciate you, brother. Yeah, thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon. ESPN Roundtable presented by Paradise Falls in Missoula. If you need somewhere to watch baseball tomorrow, you need somewhere to watch 
the NCAA tournament this weekend. Anything in between, head on down to Paradise Falls. They have 30 big screen TVs, 18 draft beers, an early and a late happy hour, breakfast, lunch, dinner, anything and everything you need from a family-friendly restaurant. Head on down to Paradise Falls, 3621 Brook Street in Missoula. Sean Rainey, AL Central. More MLB baseball previews on Nuanas Now. Back after this. Sportsbet Montana is powered by the Montana Lottery. Join in on the excitement for Sportsbet Montana by betting on your favorite sports and teams, both collegially and professionally. There are multiple ways to bet, including in-game, which gets you into the action live as the game unfolds, and parlay betting, where you could have a chance to win big. Sportsbet Montana is a secure and interactive way to win while watching your favorite sports. Bets can be placed securely on the mobile app while at an authorized Sportsbet Montana location or by using the Sportsbet Montana kiosk located at approved vendors. Montana bettors have wagered more than $28 million since Sportsbet Montana launched almost a year ago, and in that time, bettors have won more than $25 million. Sportsbet Montana's retail partners have more than $1.7 million in commission. Head on down to your authorized Sportsbet Montana locations and get in on the fun today. Welcome back. Listen to Nuana is now. 1029 ESPN Missoula. Maybe watching in statewide television, SWX Montana Television. Hope you're having a great Wednesday. Just a reminder, I'll be heading to Bozeman for the weekend. So Friday's show will be broadcast from Bozeman. Still trying to get a guest lineup, but I'm uh, planning on catching up with some Montana State folks over there. So that'll be fun. If you've been paying attention the last week or so, Really get into baseball. Both Riley Corcoran and Sean Rainey, two of my most consistent guest hosts here on Nuanez now, are really into baseball, and they're trying to get me back into it. And they're done. They've they've done it. I'm I'm back into it. I've been really enjoying these baseball previews we've been doing with Sean, and he and I caught up earlier today to break down the American League Central. Sean Rainey, SWX Montana Television, joining us. It always feels good to finish the race. And I love when ideas come to fruition and then are completed. This was a great idea, and it's been really fun. We go now to the Rangish Brothers RV phone line to complete our six-part division-by-division Major League Baseball preview series. We've broken down each and every division in Major League Baseball except for the American League Central, so it comes full circle. We started with the NL West, which is the division that Sean Rainey's team is in, the San Diego Padres, and we finished with the AL Central, which has my Cleveland Indians uh, in the division. So, Sean, broadly... Just break down this division for us. I mean, where does this division fit? What's kind of the identity of this division compared to the other divisions in the American League? Well, I think that, first off, thanks for having me on. Exciting that baseball is right around the corner here. One more sleep, and we are good to go. Um, but this is uh, this is going to be kind of a fun division. Um, I think, you know, the Twins have and the, and the Indians have kind of been uh, reigning supreme over the last couple of years in this division. But I think they're... Uh, there's going to be a new kid on the block this year. I think the Chicago White Sox, they made the playoffs last year, made strides. They got a ton of young talent, and they got some pitching help. I think that the White Sox are going to be the new uh, the kings of this division. And then you still got the, the Twins and the Indians, two teams who do it totally different ways. The Twins uh, you know, set the home run record a couple of years ago. They really mashed the baseball. The Indians, um, your Indians, have obviously cut a bunch of payroll and let a lot of guys go, but they still have a bunch of really good young pitching, and that's what they will rely on. And 
They uh, they got some talent in the bullpen as well. So they could still end up being good because they always find a way to do well. They're kind of like the Rays of the American League Central. And then uh, you, you got the Royals who are, uh, you know, I, I think they're actually going to be better than people think and might surprise some people. But, you know, they're pretty young and, you know, not really expected to contend. And then you got the Tigers who, uh, you know, are, are pretty much irrelevant this year, at least, in the division. They got a ton of young pitching and a lot of, like, high-quality prospects. So if you're a Tigers fan, it's still going to be a year in which you're going to want to watch because you're going to want to watch the development of all these pitchers and Matt Manning, Casey Mize, Tariq Skubal. Like, they just have a, uh, a ton of young dudes that they are going to be uh, filtering through that you're really going to have to uh, keep your eye on as far as the future for Detroit goes. But this year, they will uh, not be relevant at all. Um, so that's kind of like the you know a breakdown of the division. It should be a, a fun one, but overall, um, I would say kind of similar to the NL Central in that besides the White Sox, I don't know if the Twins are going to be that amazing and the rest of the division isn't all that great. Um, but I do think that the White Sox are a serious championship World Series contender this year. This division is fascinating too because in some of the divisions in baseball, you have sort of the, the teams that are almost always good, at least good to great, and then some teams that are almost always bad. This division, pretty much everybody in the division has been good at some point in the last 15 or so years, and then it's, it seems like this endless cycle where they have to rebuild. I know Chicago is a big market team, so that's a different narrative than some of the other teams, but I know that like teams like the Indians and uh, the Royals and even the Tigers to a certain extent have – a have trouble re-signing and keeping sort of their core players. So, I mean, do you think that's kind of why this division seems to uh, have a new emerging team every handful of years? It is, it is interesting how, you know, you look at, like, you know, the Royals. Like, they've won a World Series and have been there. The Tigers have had their moment. The the Indians, you know, had their, had their moment. The White Sox have been there. Um, and the Twins, who might have been, like, the – maybe consistently over the the whole time, like one of the better teams have, have yet to have that postseason success. They've really struggled in that area, but they've been maybe the most consistent team out of all of them throughout all the years. But yeah, I, you're kind of right. Like they're, they're not necessarily like small market teams, but they're op They operate like they are. And so that's why, you know, like <laughs> the Marlins are the funniest example of this. Like they've never won their division and yet they, uh, you know, they've won a couple World Series and they win a World Series and then they tear it down to the studs and then they win a World Series and tear it down to the studs. And that's kind of what we're, we've seen with this this division. The Royals, like, were really good and then they were terrible. Tigers were really good, terrible. Indians, really good. And then, I mean, they've been kind of hanging around there uh, for sure, but, like, now they're really cut payroll and it's going to be a very, you know, big challenge because they're just, they lost a lot of their talent. Like, they, man, if they would have been able to keep all their dudes, like, they might be the best team in baseball this year. Yep. But, they're not going to have a payroll close to $200 million. So they're going to be uh, probably around a 500 or a little bit better team. Well, you mentioned that the probably the two front runners in this division, the White Sox and the Twins, Sean Rainey, SWX Montana Television, joining us on Nuanez now, by the way, breaking down the American League Central Baseball Division by Division previews. Opening date is tomorrow. This is the last Division by Division preview that we have. We have the other five available on the podcast if you want to check it out. Uh, but to me, Sean, it's kind of – Different ways of going about it. I know the White Sox have a decent lineup, but the Twins have a powerhouse lineup. They hit a lot of home runs, uh, but it seems like the White Sox have a really good pitching staff. So is that the biggest difference between the two main contenders in this division? I don't know. I think the, the White Sox lineup is better than the Twins, honestly. Like, if you, you 
you got Tim Anderson, who's won a batting title in the last couple of years, uh, towards the top. Jose Abreu, who was last year's MVP. You got Luis Robert, who is one of the you know best young players in the game. Uh, does strike out a lot, but he's got a lot of tools. And then you just throw in like Yohan Moncada. They got Adam Eaton is going to be playing a lot. Eloy Jimenez is one of the best hitters. He's out for most of the year. That was kind of a, a blow for them, but they're also playing him in left field, and he is absolutely terrible defensively. So it might actually be a little bit better defensively with him gone. Andrew Vaughn, who is one of the top prospects in all of baseball and one of the front runners for Rookie of the Year, basically he's going to slot into his spot, and he's a really good hitter. you got Yasmani Grandal, who's one of the best hitting catchers in the league. Like, they are, uh, they are stacked with their lineup, and they are very deep. And then they brought in Lance Lynn they, they, from the, the Rangers, traded for him. So now you got Lance Lynn, Dallas Keuchel, Lucas Giolito, um, with Giolito being the headliner there. So it would really be Giolito, Lynn, and Keuchel, one, two, three. And then you got Dylan Cease, who's got good stuff. You got Michael Kopech, who's a, a top pitching prospect that's going to start in the bullpen. And then... They, as a free agent, they got the number one closer in baseball last year in Liam Hendricks, and then they got some other absolute dudes in that uh, in that bullpen. And Crochet and uh, Hewer, the kid that's from Missoula, is really really good. Um, so their bullpen is is one of the best in baseball as well. So I I just think that uh, this is one of the most well rounded teams. And I think that if you call if they were named the Dodgers or the Yankees. I think that they would be projected to do much better. I think just because they are the White Sox and they haven't been there yet, people are kind of sleeping on them. But when you look at their roster compared to the Yankees, I don't understand why the White Sox are projected to win you know six less games than the Yankees when I think their roster is way better than the Yankees. I just think that it's just New York is on their name, so that's why you know they're projected for more wins than the White Sox. White Sox are a lot of fun, really, really good, and – they are going to be the team to beat in that division by far, in my opinion. It's so interesting. Why do you think the White Sox have had a hard time? Oh, it seems like always they're in the a, a huge market, and yet they're the second team in their own city, and they never seem to be in the same conversation with uh, when you're talking about the national narrative. I totally agree with you. I think a lot of times guys, when they're playing for the Dodgers, the Yankees, or the Red Sox, they just get more exposure, so they become, uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, overrated. But why do you think the White Sox have struggled in that element? Because, I mean, a guy like Jose Abreu, right? I don't think that he's as big of a household name as he should be, even though he's been an MVP recently. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's um, – I've never been to Chicago. Um, I haven't spent any time there. I would imagine, though, that, like, it's mostly a Cubs town because, you know, the Cubs are just so – such a national brand that, you know, I would imagine that they are the big brother in town. But I don't know, like, I mean, that shouldn't uh, impact the way that you, you know, construct your roster and things like that. I, I just, you know, I just think that baseball is is really hard to, unless you're going to spend, you know, $200 million every single year. I just think baseball, the way that it's just set up and it works and guys filter through it's, and prospects and everything, it's just hard to stay good consistently for a long time. And... I think that just might be the case with Chicago and the fact that, you know, you never really see them towards the top, you know, seven or eight as far as payroll goes. Um, and so I think all that coupled together, that that's, you know, probably why they've had some of the inconsistencies that they've had. What's been the biggest factor of the Twins and their recent resurgence? I mean, how have they been able to get so good? Uh, well, they've just been slugging the crap out of the ball. Um, 
you know, you bring in Nelson Cruz, who's like 100 years old and still hits, you know, 500-foot home runs. That dude is just an animal, and he just doesn't seem to be slowing down despite being, you know, super old. And then, you know, they just had a, you know, a really deep lineup. They had guys like, you know, in their record-breaking year, you know, Max Kepler, Eddie Rosario, um, a bunch of guys like that. Jorge Polanco played really, really well. Um, they got, you know, Mitch Garver at the catching spot hit like 300 with like 30 bombs a couple years ago. Um, and so they just had like a super deep lineup that would just mash. Now, a lot of them, like, it's a it's an interesting lineup because they they strike out and don't walk a lot. Um, so they can get pretty streaky. And I think that that's why as, uh, you know, I'm on kid duty, so you might hear my uh, kiddo with me here. Um, so I, I think that that's why... Um, when you get into the postseason, a team like that, it's it's you kind of struggle because you can't just rely on just hitting home runs over and over. And it, once you get into October, you're facing better pitching. You got to be able to like manufacture some runs, and I think that that's why we've seen Minnesota struggle in the playoffs because they've just been so based off the long ball. Like the percentage of their runs, you know, coming off of homers is, is the most. In, towards the top in the majors the last few years. And so I think that's why they've kind of struggled late in the year. But they also need to get, you know, more consistent pitching. And I think getting Kenta Maeda was, was huge. He was, you know, tremendous last year. All of his numbers show that, you know, he's not going to slow down. So you got him and Jose Barrios at the top. He's been super inconsistent, but he's got talent. And then so if you can just get the uh, the back end of that starting rotation to be okay, then I think the, you know, the Twins could be solid and, and – you know, should be there. You just hope that they don't have to end up playing the Yankees in the playoffs because it seems like every time they have a good have a good year, they end up facing the Yankees, and then they just can't get over that hump. Sean Rainey joining us from SWX Montana Television, finishing up baseball divisional previews. We did all five divisions, and now we're breaking down the American League Central. So, Sean, what would it take for a team that's not the White Sox or the Twins to win the American League Central this year? Well, I think you, you start with the Indians, and obviously with their pitching. I mean, you got a you know Cy Young winner and Shane Bieber, and so if he can back up what he did last year, and then you get you know Zach Plesac, Tristan McKenzie, Aaron Savale, like those three guys all showed they went through stretches of you know four or five starts in a row last year where they looked really really good. So if they can you know stack that and put that together, then they will just have to use their pitching, and then they got a dude in. His name's James Karinchak. They call him Special K. He uh, he strikes out dudes at like a fifty percent clip, and he's a little wild. But if he can end up, uh, you know, harnessing his control a little bit, and I mean, he he could be the best closer in all of baseball. And then they got you know Class A and Nit Whitgren as a three-headed monster at the end of the bullpen. So it'll just be on pitching, and then you just rely on Jose Ramirez, who's an MVP type candidate at third base, and some of their you know, young, unknown guys to squeak out enough runs where, I mean, there's certainly a scenario where you could see the Indians contending if all those things go right. Will they? I don't know. As far as the Royals, I think their offense is actually going to be pretty good. You got Whit Merrifield at the top, Adebok Del Mondesi, uh, you know, steals more bases than anyone in the league. They bring in Carlos Santana, who is always an under-the-radar guy that gets on base at, you know, a 40% clip. You got Hunter Dozier. Jorge Soler, they got they have an offense. I think that they're going to be sneaky on offense. It's just they got a bunch of young pitching, 
and all those guys are going to have to take massive steps, which I don't think I see that happening this year, but I think the Royals, at least they have a plan, and I think they could be pretty good in a couple years, but probably not now. Tigers, there is no plan. Like, there is no chance that they could contend this year. So it's either going to be, the I think, the Indians with their pitching, um, the Royals, if they can get those massive jumps from their young starting pitching, because I think their offense is going to be fine. Um, but I would definitely say that the Indians have the most you know, likely path to being the team that could uh, contend with the, the Twins and the uh, White Sox. Obviously, it hurts losing to guy like Francisco Lindor, who signed up the New York Mets in the offseason. How much does it hurt, though? Oh, uh, well, I mean, I think it mostly hurts, like, as a fan base because, I mean, he's such a uh, jovial, like, big smile, awesome defensively as well. I think that's pretty underrated. Like, he was, he's one of the best defensive shortstops in the game. And, obviously, you know, switch hitter that hits around 300 with, you know, 30 home runs. So, um, kind of a, it's just a do-it-all player. I do think that Andre Jimenez, who they got from the Mets, they got him and uh, Ahmed Rosario, both kind of shortstops, but they moved Rosario to the outfield. He's not as good, but I think Jimenez is actually going to be pretty decent and could be end up being pretty good. Nowhere near what Lindor is, but I think with Cleveland, like, they're just, you know, they knew that they weren't going to sign him. Um, I mean, Lindor's kind of going through contract negotiations right now with the Mets wanting, you know, $380 million somewhere in that range. It sounds like the Mets offered him 325 and he's for 10 years and he's, you know, heard he might turn it down. So they knew they weren't going to pay him and they're just going, you know, the, the pitching route, they're just kind of going with the Rays do and just going with all these, you know, young guys that are, you know, before arbitration. So they're not paying any of these guys a lot of money. And you could definitely see like, Hey, unfortunately, like they might let Shane Bieber walk in a couple of years when, when he's a free agent, like they're not going to pay these guys. That's just kind of how the Indians are rolling. It's really unfortunate, especially for guys like you who, you know, they're really good and they just don't keep their, their good players. It's just hard to be a fan of a fan base like that. So it's going to be, I mean, it's a, you know, big shoes to fill. Um, it, I don't know though, if they had Lindor, if that, would have made them really any more of a contender this year. I still think it's just going to depend on Plesac, Zavale, Tristan McKenzie, and some of their uh, their young pitching. Sean Rainey, SWX Montana Television, joining us. Okay, Sean, give us some bold predictions for the American League Central. Ooh, all right. Um, well, I'm going to say that the Royals, score more runs than the Twins this year as a team. So the Twins, obviously, like two years ago, hit the most home runs out of anybody in the history of Major League Baseball, known for their offense. I'm going to say that the Royals score more runs and have a better offense than the Twins this year, number one. Number two, I'm going to go that the the Cy Young winner will come from this division, but it is not Shane Bieber. I think I'm going to go Lucas Giolito will be the American League Cy Young winner. Um kind of like those two and then I, I just think that the White Sox are going to represent the American League in the World Series so those are kind of those are my three and I also think Andrew Vaughn Andrew Vaughn is going to be if he doesn't win American League Rookie of the Year he's going to be at least second or third um, so I'll, I'll go with those kind of little four nuggets for you how about that gotta love it so now that we got it all finished up you, who do you got in the American in the American League and National League Championship Series, and who do you got in the World Series? Oh man! Well, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go White Sox, Yankees, 
in the American League, and I'm going to say White Sox beat the Yankees. The National League is, is so annoying to me because the stupid setup, and you're going to hear me moan about this throughout the year. So I think the Padres and the Dodgers are going to be the two best teams. Both, both of them could win 100 games, but they would have to face each other in the second round, that's, and that's if you know if the Padres could win 100 games, and if the Dodgers win 103, the Padres have to play in a one-game wild-card situation, which just absolutely sucks. Um, especially against, you know, they could end up facing, this is like a nightmare scenario where Padres win 100 games, Mets win like 88, and then they have to go against Jacob deGrom in a one-game playoff. Like, that's just brutal. That said, even if they win, they got to then play the Dodgers in the in the DS and don't even get to play them in the, in the championship series, which kind of sucks. My fandom would say Padres, White Sox. Your brain and my wallet would say Dodgers, White Sox. Um, so I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, it's probably going to be Dodgers, White Sox. Padres, White Sox would be the most fun, I think. But I think Dodgers, White Sox, NL MVP, Juan Soto, AL MVP, probably Trout, um, NL Rookie of the Year, Brian Hayes, AL Rookie of the Year, Andrew Vaughn, Cy Young, AL Giolito, DeGrom, National League, with maybe Darvish. Hey, Sean Rainey, Sports Director, SWX Montana. It's been awesome, Rain Man. Appreciate all the contribution, all the great content. If you missed any of our baseball previews, they're available on the podcast. So you can just go to the Nuanas Now podcast. We highlight each episode in the metadata, so you can just find which ones, which division we broke down each of the last week or so. But opening day is tomorrow. It's an exciting time, and uh, this has been very informative, very fun. So thanks so much for contributing, man. Hey, of course. Well, I'll, I'm able to talk baseball anytime you want, Coulter. <laughs> Well, it will keep on going as baseball season is now amongst us. So uh, we will look forward to that. And ESPN Radio, 1029 ESPN Missoula, we will be carrying a whole bunch of baseball games, Major League Baseball games, so stay tuned for that as well. Sean, best of luck with everything today, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, man. Talk to you soon. Listen to Nuanas now, 1029 ESPN Missoula, statewide television, SWX Montana. More after this. The world may have slowed down, but it didn't stop. If you're back on the road and traveling to Missoula, we invite you to give Missoula's Wingate a try. We love our regular corporate guests and offer fantastic service, great year-round rates, and clean and comfortable rooms that will keep you coming back. While you're here, you can rack up the Wyndham Rewards points for free nights or airline miles. And starting in July, you can release some steam in our newly expanded fitness room. The team at Missoula's Wingate would love to make you feel at home Happy Wednesday evening. Hope everybody's having a great Wednesday. Thanks so much for riding home with. It's finally starting to feel like winter around here, and if you need some nice winter gear, how about the fine folks at Sitka? They make awesome winter clothes, and they sell custom Bobcat Sitka gear at the MSU Bookstore. You can shop online anytime at msubookstore.org, or of course you can check out the MSU Bookstore live and in person there on the Montana State campus. They also have some graduation regalia back in order there at the MSU Bookstore. They have an awesome American Indian Council selection as well. 
Visit on campus anytime you need blue and gold or visit online anytime, anywhere, msubookstore.org. MSU Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day located there on the Montana State campus. 